Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. My name is Brenda, and welcome to Horrifying History, where you will hear about the unexplained, paranormal, and supernatural happenings that have stained the pages of history. Identical twins share a bond like no other. They are the result of one fertilized egg that splits in two, which results in them having identical DNA. They have the same features and often live through the same childhood experiences, but this doesn't mean they're the same person. Many twins grow up to have different likes and dislikes and live completely different lives than their sibling. But in the case of June and Jennifer Gibbons, they were not like other twins. In fact, it wasn't until one twin met her untimely death that the other started to reclaim a sense of normalcy in her life. Welcome to bonus episode 23, The Silent Twins. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. June and Jennifer Gibbons were born on April 11, 1963, at a military hospital in Yemen where their father was stationed with the military. Their parents, Gloria and Aubrey, were Caribbean immigrants who moved from the Barbados to the United Kingdom as part of what is called the Windrush Generation. After the Second World War, the British government started to encourage mass immigration from countries that were formerly part of the British Empire and the Commonwealth to help fill shortages in the labor market. Many were attracted to the opportunity of better prospects, and two of these were Gloria and Aubrey. After moving to the United Kingdom, Aubrey joined the Royal Air Force and Gloria was a stay-at-home mom for their daughter, who was born in 1957, and their son, who was born in 1959. After Aubrey finished his training to become a staff technician, Gloria joined her husband with her children. Now soon, Aubrey was deployed to Yemen and this is where their twins were born. The twins' birth was not unusual, but soon, both Gloria and Aubrey started to notice that their girls were different than kids their own age. 
They were inseparable, which isn't necessarily strange. But Aubrey and Gloria quickly noticed that their girls were not meeting the benchmarks concerning language skills like their peers. But the thing was, it appeared that the twins developed their own language. As Aubrey once stated, and I quote, In the home, they'd talk, make sounds, and all that, but we knew they weren't quite like, you know, normal children, talking readily. Even though the family spoke English at home, June and Jennifer would speak what some believed to be a sped-up and bastardized version of Creole. It soon became very difficult for anyone to understand them. After the deployment, the young family moved to England for a while, and then they moved to Wales. Soon, the twins became very isolated. This happened for a few reasons. Firstly, as the only black children in their elementary school, the twins were targeted for constant bullying and were ostracized. This only deepened their dependence on each other. It got so severe that school officials began to let the twins leave school early each day in hopes they could sneak out and not be tormented by their peers. The second reason was the twins shared language. As the twins aged and became more codependent, the girls became unwilling to communicate with anyone but with each other in public. Due to this, the girls got the nickname of the Silent Twins. As the twins got older, they became more and more reserved and soon spoke only to each other and their younger sister. Even with this hellish school experience, both girls still attended regularly, but they refused to read or write. They also began to mirror each other's actions. Years later, June would summarize her relationship with Jennifer as, and I quote, One day she'd wake up and be me, and one day I would wake up and be her. And we used to say to each other, give me back myself. If you give me back myself, I'll give you back yourself. In 1974, a medic who was giving school vaccinations took notice of the girl's odd behavior. The medic, who was named John Reese, noted that the children had strange behavior and according to him, the girls were unusually non-reactive to getting their vaccinations. John would later say that he thought their behavior was doll-like and he went to the school's headmaster to tell him his concerns. Now that headmaster brushed him off, but John did not accept this. He reached out to a child psychologist and told him what he saw. Immediately, the psychologist insisted that the twins go to therapy. Despite seeing many different psychotherapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, the girls still refused to speak to anyone other than themselves or their younger sister. In 1977, the girls were sent to speech therapist Anne Traham. They still refused to speak to Anne or anyone, but the twins indicated to Anne that they would allow themselves to be recorded speaking if they were left alone. Anne, she jumped on this opportunity. She would later say that she felt like June actually wanted to talk to her, but she was compelled not to do so by Jennifer. Anne also said, and I quote again, Jennifer sat there with an expressionless gaze, but I felt her power. The thought entered my mind that June was possessed by her twin. This is when it was decided to break the girls apart. They were sent to separate boarding schools in attempts to break their codependency and their isolation. Now perhaps they would start to develop a separate sense of self. It didn't work. Soon, both June and Jennifer became catatonic and withdrew completely. 
At one point, two people had to take June out of bed. As soon as they did, they propped her up against a wall with her body stiff like a board. This experiment was a failure, and it was decided to bring the girls back together before they suffered from any further damage. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. When June and Jennifer were reunited, they became even further entrenched with each other and more withdrawn from the world. They would not attempt to communicate to their parents at all except for writing them letters or notes. By this time, the only person that the girls would communicate to was their younger sister. In an interview with The New Yorker that June did in the year 2000, she said the following, We had a ritual. We'd kneel down by the bed and ask God to forgive our sins. We'd open the Bible and start chanting from it and pray like mad. We'd pray to him not to let us hurt our family by ignoring them, to give us the strength to talk to our mother, our father. We couldn't do it. Hard it was. Too hard. Each day, the girls would retreat to their bedroom and spend their days playing with dolls and creating elaborate plays and stories like a soap opera. Many of these they would record and give to their younger sister as a gift. After receiving diaries as a gift on Christmas in 1979, both girls started writing. They both took a mail-order course in creative writing and both wrote at length in their diaries. They also started writing stories, poems, and full-length novels. Often, their fantasy writing had the same premise. The tale would take place somewhere in the United States and would involve individuals who behaved oddly and often practiced criminal behaviors. The girls started saving their unemployment benefits and eventually they had enough to get one of their stories published. It was a novel by June called The Pepsi-Cola Addict, and it was about a young teen who was seduced by his high school teacher. Afterwards, the main character was sent to reform school where a male guard attempts to seduce him. Now the twins did attempt to get further writing published, but they were not successful. One of these was a story by Jennifer called The Puglist. In this tale, a physician would do anything to save his child's life, so he kills his family's dog to get its heart to transplant into the child. The child then carries the dog's spirit within them, and the dog ultimately gets revenge against the doctor. In another story by Jennifer, a young woman discovers that the atmosphere inside of a local club incites its patrons to extreme violence. After the release of The Pepsi-Cola Addict, the twins started to become bored with writing about life in the real world. They started to long to experience life firsthand. This led them to start to experiment with alcohol and drugs. By the time they hit the age of 18, June and Jennifer started committing petty crimes. This soon escalated to vandalism, theft, and arson. The girls were finally arrested for committing arson, and due to their overall behavior, they were admitted to the Broadmoor Hospital. This hospital is a high-security psychiatric hospital and is one of the oldest in England. After being assessed, they were both sentenced to an indefinite detention under the Mental Health Act. 
the girls were imprisoned there for over 11 long years. Of this time in their lives, June would later say that she believed that she and Jennifer got this sentence due to them not speaking. She would later say, and I quote, Juvenile delinquents get two years in prison. We got 12 years of hell because we didn't speak. We lost hope, really. I wrote a letter to the Queen asking for her to get us out. But we were trapped. Being at Broadmoor Hospital was not an easy time for both June and Jennifer. They were used to living a very lenient life due to how their family treated them, but instead of allowing the girls to retreat in their own world like they were used to, the doctors at Broadmoor started treating the twins with high doses of antipsychotic medications. As a result, both girls had difficulty concentrating. Jennifer started having vision problems, and she allegedly developed a neurological disorder that made her have involuntary and repetitive movements. As the physicians adjusted their medications, they slowly returned to writing in their diaries. They even joined the hospital choir, but both girls lost their interest in creative writing. In March of 1993, it was decided that the girls would be transferred to a low-security hospital in Wales. But before this could happen, the girls started talking about death. According to June, the twins had made an agreement many years before that if one of them died, the other twin must begin to speak with others and live a normal life. As the years passed in Broadmoor Hospital, the twins started to believe it was necessary that one of them would die so the other one could live and be free. After much discussion, Jennifer told her sister that she would sacrifice herself for her sister. Right after the girls were transferred to their new location, Jennifer was found unresponsive. Staff tried to wake her, but they were unsuccessful. Jennifer died soon afterwards from acute myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the heart. Testing showed that Jennifer did not have any sort of chemicals in her system that could cause this. No cause has ever been found, and to this day, her death is a mystery. An inquest into Jennifer's death was called, and it was here that June gave her explanation on what happened to her sister. June revealed that Jennifer was acting oddly for about a day before the transfer. She was slurring her speech, and she told her sister that she was dying. On the trip to the new facility, Jennifer lay her head on her sister's lap with her eyes open. By the time they arrived, Jennifer was unresponsive. June then told the inquest that she was free at last and that Jennifer gave up her life for her sister. Soon, the surviving silent twin was no longer silent. After Jennifer's death, June gave multiple interviews to the press about her and her sister's lives. She started speaking to everyone as if she was doing it her entire life. She was released from the mental health facility and was no longer monitored by any psychiatric services. She began to live independently near her parents and was accepted by her community and put her unusual past behind her. But with the information that got released in the press, it didn't allow June to fully move forward. Soon the world started to learn about the darkness within each twin. In June's diaries, she wrote about how she felt possessed by her sister, to whom she referred to as a dark shadow over her. Meanwhile, in Jennifer's diaries, she referred to June as her fatal enemy and described her as the face of misery, deception, and murder. According to their diaries, the girls actually had a deep-rooted dislike of each other, and even though they had an unshakable bond, they both suffered from an increasing fear of each other. The diaries also revealed that Jennifer was the dominant person in the relationship, with June being deeply afraid of her. 
In fact, June did want to speak to people, but Jennifer would stop her. It seemed that throughout their entire relationship, June dreamed of distancing herself from her sister, but she never had the strength to do it. So where is June today? It is said that she still lives in West Wales near her parents. She never married or had children. She did not follow her dream of being a writer. June lives her life out of the spotlight and is now living just for her. She rejoins society and speaks to anyone who wants to listen, which is a stark contrast to her life with Jennifer. But right now, my dear listeners, I bet you guys have one question. Why? Why would the girls turn into the silent twins? When asked on why she and her sister became silent for nearly 30 years of their lives, June said, and I quote, We made a pact. We said we weren't going to speak to anybody. We stopped talking altogether. Only us two in our bedroom upstairs. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Thank you all for joining me for our latest episode of Horrifying History. Join us on Facebook at Horrifying History, on Instagram at Horrifying underscore History, on Twitter at Horrifying H-I-S-T-1, or reach out to us by email at HorrifyingHistory at Outlook.com and let us know what your thoughts are about the Silent Twins. Now, if you haven't done it yet, please remember to hit the subscribe button for this podcast. For when you do, you not only let people know about this show, but you download our next episode on its day of release. It is a great way not to miss our next episode, Doppelgangers. If you would love to take home a piece of horrifying history, you guys need to check out our store. You'll find some awesome items by going to redbubble.com and search for horrifying history in their search box. Thank you all for listening again today, and until next time. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.